Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Uh, before we get to the word, I just want to second our guests or our, our visitors for today. In behalf of Pastor Mark and Terry, who are currently uh, celebrating the graduation of their daughter, we'd like to uh, welcome you to our family, to our church, and hope that even the worship alone has, you, has got you experiencing God already. So wasn't that great? Rice and Paul um, saying all of that. So today, we're, re- we're going on week three of our series, as you have seen already, Rise and Fall. And it is a series on leadership. Uh, Pastor Eric started us uh, two weeks ago when he talked about uh, the sons of of, uh, Gideon named Jotam. And we have seen that in that first week, the very uh, uh, personification of leadership is that leadership needs personal sacrifices or they give out personal sacrifices. Then last week, Pastor Edgar talked about Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Well, today I'm going to follow that through, and today we're going to be talking about the second king who went after Saul. And most of you probably know who he is. His name is David, not David Bastasa, but King David. We have a David in the house. But anyway, last week Pastor Edgar introduced us to a character in the Bible By the name of Saul. And it was uh, such a tragic comment to hear that. Or if you yourself has read about his story. It's kind of. It is true that Saul is one of the tragic character of the Bible. That's just a fact. Uh, In the second year of his reign. He reigned more than 40 years. uh, Saul committed what Pastor Edgar told us. He committed the partial obedience. Which is really is full disobedience. So from that time on, God said, because you have done that, I will remove the kingdom from you and I will give it to your neighbor. And from that time on, in the second year, all the way until he, was, uh, he died as a king, God said, I will look for myself a man after my own heart. And that really is where David began. David's come to, come to, to kingship did not start when he was anointed king. It started 11 years even before he was born. 11 years before David was born, God said, I have sought for myself a man after my own heart. Saul anointed him 20-some years later. And that really is the man that we're going to be talking about. This David, this is the same David that killed Goliath. For some of you, this is probably the only, uh, this is the most popular story of David. How many of you know that? David killed Goliath. Okay, so we're on the same page. That David Okay, that David eventually became a king. Okay, that David is the same David that ran to the caves of Adullam. This, this is the same David that out of uh, people that came to him, they were distressed. They were um, the 3D armies, they call it. They were in debt and they were, what's the other D? Discontented. That's the same David. So let's look at the life of David and let's look at how he rise to become a king and how he rise to become the king of Israel. If Facebook was around during the time of David, <laughs> if Mark Zuckerberg had lived in the time of David, perhaps David would, one, would be the one who had so many followers. Why? Well, this is his personal profile. Can you put that up? Let's look at who David is. David the man. 
Okay, we're having uh, some uh, technical difficulties. <laughs> Our tech guy went up there. But in a description that a servant gave, it says that when, when the Spirit of God left Saul, Saul asked his servant to go look for a man that is skillful in playing. So a servant all of a sudden said, I've heard of a man. I heard of a son of Jesse. He is skillful in playing. He is a man of valor. He is a man of war. He is, there you go. So then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and most importantly, the Lord is with him. If Facebook was around during that time, can you imagine? David, go back please. David was skillful in music. He's a rock star. He's a man of valor. He's a courageous man. He's a man of war. He's a soldier. Prudent in speech. Wise. Then, of course, handsome. That alone will get people to follow you, isn't it not? You got Justin Bieber, just being, because he has that great hair, people are following him. So what more David, and then most especially, the Lord is with him. So you got this, the spectrum of the whole society following the man. Imagine that. Those who are musically talented would follow him because he was skillful. Those who were soldiers and served in the military would follow him because he's a man of war. He's a man of valor. Those who are just, you know, looking for looks definitely would follow him. And then the Christian world would follow him. Can you imagine that? David was almost the epitome of being a leader. He was the epitome of being the king. And from the very beginning of his life, God was already orchestrating him. Eleven years even before he was born, God was already searching him out. And then when finally he was introduced in the scene, you see it right away. The Lord is with David. There's another character in the Old Testament that has a, a similar description of this. It was Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph is one of the sons of uh, Jacob, sold by his own brother, sent out to Egypt. While he was sold out in Egypt, in chapter 39 of Genesis, it says that, And the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph was a successful man. Even his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, that everything Joseph touched prospered. So what do you think, David? What do you think happened to David because the Lord was with David? Another verse tells us how that David was a wise man. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. David had a habit, or we say he had a practice. If you read through his story, his story is spread out, kind of spread out from the book of Samuel, the book of Kings, and the book of Chronicles. But if you read through his life story, you would see that, there's, that David had a habit. It wasn't a bad habit. He didn't smoke, okay? That wasn't his habit. His habit is that he would always inquire of the Lord whenever he goes out. Meaning, he would, whether uh, there, were, there were two occasions where it says that when David was running away from Saul, he inquired of the Lord, should we stay in this city, Lord? Or are the people of this city, will, will they give us up to Saul? And, and, and the Lord answered, get out. So he did. There was another occasion in his life where David... When he was in the camps of the enemy, 
his party was raided and they took everything, all, his, all, all the, their possessions and their family. And the first thing that David did was he found strength in the Lord. And then he inquired of the Lord, Lord, shall we pursue them? Shall we have victory if we pursue them? And the Lord answered back and said, go pursue them for everything that was lost will be gained. See, that was David. David has such a prudent, there's prudence, there's wisdom on David. Where, um, it will take time, but just for those who, uh, those who have an ear, let him hear. There are chapters in Proverbs that are actually instructions of David to his son Solomon. You can search it out yourself. That's a teaser. <laughs> so this is David. So when he finally he became king, these are the things that happened. There's too much to tell. It will take us much more. But let's look at two. Two things that happened when David was the king, his uh, victories, his successes. So finally, after being chased by Saul, David was finally the king. In all the chasing that Saul did to him, God always preserved David. So from the very beginning, God was involved. When he was, just, when he was not even in the military, God was already involved. Then finally, when, God, when he was the king of Israel, God was still involved. It says, Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servant and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So what did David do? David expanded the border of Israel. That's what he did. Another one tells us the same thing. He also put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servant, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. That's a leader, church. Isn't it not? Wouldn't you agree? A personal profile says it all. Is it not? Handsome. Amen? Most of our leaders are like that. Okay, you laugh. <laughs> you don't believe me. <laughs> if your mom says you're handsome, you are handsome. Amen. <laughs> so David, just from the personal profile, his, his Facebook profile, let's just say it. His Facebook profile says it all. A man of courage, a man of war, prudent in speech and action, wise in his dealing, and the Lord is with David. How can you not go wrong? If the Lord is with you, you already are a success, as we have seen in the life of Joseph. Everything that Joseph touched prospered. And church, I'm here to remind you, if you are a born-again Christian, if you have received Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the promise to us is that I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So this, that same spirit that was on Joseph, that same spirit that was on David, resides in us. We just need to activate it upon ourselves. Amen? So if David and Joseph were successful, you and I can walk in success also. Amen? But of course, as, as great as uh, David's life was, and there's much more. In chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, it's not there. It tells us that when David finally built his house, God gave him rest. There were no more enemies for David to fight. There was a rest in his kingdom. 
if you have 600 mighty men who are skillful in war, I think you can do that. If you know the story of his mighty men, his mighty men, some of his mighty men were actually the mans of Saul who were disoriented and went to him. And the description that was given in Chronicles is like, you don't want to meet this guy when he woke up in the wrong side of the bed. Let's put it that way. So that's David. But just like I said, the story of man, David was still human. And in on him being human, David also had his failure. The thing about it is, there is no recorded event in the life of David where David lost a battle. There was none. No recorded event in his life that David went to battle and he lost a battle. Well, first of all, because he would ask the Lord, Lord, are we going to win this? And if God said, don't go, he would not go. That's just David. David is also the David that we're, that this David is the same David that gave us Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This David is skillful in playing. So as great as David is as a leader, as much as we say, I'm going to follow him, David also had his failure. But it did not come in the most, or it didn't come in the battlefield, nor did it come in the hands of his enemy. It came in the most unlikely places. First Samuel, or Second Samuel. So this is where David's failure came. And most of you, if you're here, if you've been in the church long enough, you've probably heard this much more than one time. In fact, I believe this is one of the this is one of the most. Uh, Besides from David defeating Goliath, this is the second most well-known story of David, when David failed. So let's look at this. What, what can we learn? Yeah, we're, we're, uh, as believers, we're not celebrating people's failure. We got to just got to understand that. But at the same time, the Bible did say that the things that were written, they were written so that we can also learn from them. When I was in senior high school, when I was in my senior class in high school, we had this saying uh, uh, plastered in front of our class. It says, we, uh, we learn from our mistake, but we need not to commit mistakes just to learn. So though we're going to be talking about uh, David's failure, let's just keep this in mind that we're not celebrating his failure, but we really just want to learn what we can learn from. Amen? So let's look. It says, in the, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem, at Jerusalem. So let's take a look at that. What is going on? Most of you have probably heard this already. David should have not been there, correct? David should have been in the war because he is the king, he should have been at the war. Well, I, I have a different opinion because in chapter 10, it tells you why they were fighting the people of Ammon. The people of Ammon were not really their enemies. The people of Ammon, actually the king of the people of Ammon was David's friend. He was kind to David, so in the same gesture, when the king of the people of Ammon died, his son was uh, to reign over him. David sent Mesar, his servants, to comfort the son because his father just died. But in his stupidity, and I'm going to use that, in his stupidity, he did something that was so repulsive to David. Instead of receiving David's servant and, and allowing them to comfort him, 
Instead, he listened to the advice of his younger uh, leaders, and he shaved off his, their heads and beard, cut off their garments at the backside so they, their, their buttocks were exposed, and sent them back. It was so embarrassing for the servants of David that they did not return to David, and instead David said, stay at Jericho till your hair grows back, and your shame is, you know, and you, you, you've, uh, you're back to normal. Something stupid that was done. And this brought a repulsive uh, reaction to David. So because of that, they realized, oh, we just made a mistake. We just angered the king of the nation of Israel, who we've been hearing is taking over the whole land. So, in, so what did they do? Instead, they hired the Syrians. But we just read earlier, the Syrians were under the tributes or under David. So David now sends Joab... And only his mighty man. And that tells you that David was not intending to go to war. If David was intending to go to war, he himself would go. But he only sent Joab. We find this in chapter 10. And his mighty man, his 600 mighty men. I believe it was David's intention just to investigate what's going on. What did you do? But instead, the people of Ammon put a battle formation against Joab and his brother Abishai. So they were left with no choice but to engage in battle when they had no intention to battle with them. And that's what happened. So, the, so when Joab and his brother Abishai started to fight, the Syrians whom the people of Ammon hired ran away. And when the people of Ammon saw the Syrians running away, they did the same thing. They ran away. So Joab is left in the middle of nowhere with nobody to fight, so he returns to Jerusalem and tells David. And then the whole army of Syria came out. That's when David came out and destroyed the army of Syria. So the next year, this is where really it happened. In the next year, I, I believe that David did not felt, or David felt like he did not need to go to war with them because first of all, they had no king. Secondly, the son of the king is too coward to come out anyway. So I believe that's why he sent Joab, only Joab, to go out, his right-hand man. And that very thing was the cause of his failure. Because being idle, what happened? But David reigned at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. The word there is to behold. To behold is really take out time, stop, Pause, look, or oh, how do you say it? Marinate it, isn't it? So what we do with meat, we marinate it. And that's exactly what David did. He didn't just saw, he didn't accidentally saw something and, and look away. No, no, it says, she was beautiful to behold. That means David actually stopped, looked, and marinated. Okay, I hope that doesn't ruin your sanctified mind. Okay. So that was the beginning of a failure that David had. So continue on. <coughs> so David, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Water. So David sent and inquired about the women, and David did not stop there. David sent, and he inquired about the women. And someone said, Is this not but Sheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David should have stopped there. See, it's one thing not to know whether the woman was single or not, 
Well, first of all, we already know it was a, a big failure already for him to marinate, the, to marinate, okay? The next thing, after inquiring, he finds out that she's actually married. Married to who? Married to one of his men. He should have stopped there already, but yet he went on, he continued, and says, then David sent messengers, and David had the power to do so. Took her, she came to him, he laid with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And the story goes on that David tried to cover up his uh, failure. He's called for Uriah. Uriah, come in the heat of the battle. Come, take her rest. Go with your wife. Go home. You know, enjoy your marital relationship. But Uriah did not. He stayed with the king's palace. Okay, next time what we'll do, I'm going to get this guy drunk. He forgot that these are men who are always out in the battle. They can take alcohol. No, that's not true. Okay. So, the, so Uriah did not go again. The second day he did not go with his wife. And then finally David the progression of what, has, was, has, what began as a failure went on. And then finally, David's last resort was David gave a death sentence to Uriah and gave it to him to carry it and give it to Joab. David told Joab, bring him to the front line and when the heat of the battle is hot, back away and allow him to be killed. And that church is David's Perhaps you can say that is David's greatest failure. And it's sad to say that it did not happen in the battlefield. It came in a time, I believe, that they should not even be at war. It came in a place where the promises of God was all around David. There were peace in the land. He lives in the house. And it, it happened in a manner that David was so familiar with. Because David himself was being chased down by Saul, he would not lift a finger to kill Saul. But yet his very man, who was so faithful to him, these very men, remember, in, the, in one of our series before, when David was hiding in the caves, he thirsted for water in the wells of Bethlehem, and two of his men came out and said, I will get you water. And they went 12 miles in, 12 miles back to get water, and what did David do? He poured it out as an offering to the Lord, said, no man deserves such loyalty. But yet, he did it to his own man that was so loyal to him that murdered him. So in every manner that possibly happened in the failure of David, it was something that was unlikely to happen. And church, this is really one of the main points of this, series, of this week is that sometimes a leader's defeat can happen in the seemingly insignificant battle, significant battle. And that's why Paul himself encourages us, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Plea evil desires. Plea sexual immorality. Because the more you think that you're okay and you can do it, that really is the time that it comes. So as sad as the story, and church, that's what I mean. We're not here to celebrate his failure, but at the same time, we can learn that though David, as great as he is, though we want to follow him in our Facebook account, David was still a man, and David had his failure. But thanks be to God that though David failed, there is always hope when failure comes. God sent Nathan, one of his 
prophet, which, which I just asked earlier when we were worshiping. David had a direct line with God. He always inquired of God. But yet, in his failure, God has to send Nathan to confront him. So I was asking, what, so, so in my mind, I was thinking, wow, where has David gone to? There, when, when Saul fell, David had this cry saying, Oh, how the mighty has fallen. David was crying out to Saul and saying, Oh, how the mighty anointed king of, of Israel has fallen. Yet now, it's the same thing for him. How David has fallen so far. So Nathan was brought by God to confront David. And in that confrontation came out Psalms chapter 51. One of the most, I guess you can say, a heartfelt uh, repentance that anybody could ever seen. See, when God or when Nathan confronted David, the words that God told Nathan to say was that, how could you have despised my commandment? How could you have despised me and did evil in my sight? That's what God, almost like God was so heartbroken. Because remember, 11 years before he was born, this is the man that God said, I am searching for myself a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. The Lord was always with David even before he became king. And when he was king, the promise of Abraham over the life of David was so evident. There was such a peace in the land. They expanded the territory. And that's why I believe when God confronted David through Nathan, the cry of God's heart is, how could you have despised me? How could you have hated my commandment. How could you have loathed? How could you have just almost, what, disrespected my commandment? Because there's a difference in what David did. Because David knew exactly the commands of the Lord. I'll get back to you. But let me give you a, a story. A few years ago, we went to Singapore. If those of you who have been to Singapore, Singapore is known as the finest city in the world. And they really mean it when they say finest because they have fines for everything. <laughs> we were heading out after five days of just uh, being tourists. We were heading out and we were sitting on, we were sitting, we were standing on the platform waiting for the train to come. And it was around, and, and the, the time of the year that we went to was kind of hot. So we had our bottled water. And in Guam, it's natural to drink your bottled water everywhere, right? It's, there's nothing wrong with it. So we were drinking our bottled water on the platform of the train. Platform of the train, not on the train itself, just on the platform waiting for the train. An attendant approached us and said to us, Did you not know that you cannot drink water here? So, ooh. Said, uh, I almost want to say, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> I, I, I'm drinking because I do not know. So I, we were, I, was, uh, I was just, uh, I was surprised. I said. Then he pointed to the sign. And sure enough, there's a sign that says, no bottled water. No bottled water, meaning cannot drink bottled water. See, we didn't know. We didn't know that you cannot drink bottled water. But nonetheless, we broke the law because we drank bottled water. The fine was $500 for drinking bottled water in Singapore. <laughs> That's why they're called the finest city in the world. <laughs> $500, but the attendant saw that we had our luggages. I was like, are you, are you guys tourists? I said, yeah. You guys on your way out? Yes. Okay, put that away. Go ahead. We didn't know that it was not allowed to drink bottled water in the platforms of the train in Singapore. There's a difference when you do not know and you commit it. 
But for David, David knew exactly the commandments of the Lord. One of the things that you would discover about the life of David was when he, that David was also a reader. The very first Psalms that David released, the very first song, remember, he's a rock star. His very first album comes out of the story of Genesis. Where did you think he found all of that? Through the book of, through the book of Moses. When he moved the ark, the book of Moses was inside the holy place. He was able to read it. That's why the second attempt of moving the ark, he was successful. For three months, he read that book, and then he released his album. <laughs> so, now, more serious matter, I'm sorry. So, out of this, uh, out of Nathan confronting him, came out Psalms 51, verse 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. See, David knew exactly the commandments of God, but yet, he chose to break it anyway. And that is what you call iniquity. It was deliberate. It was premeditated. He knew exactly that it was wrong to do it, but he did it anyway. The fact that he would not even touch King Saul when he was given a chance to kill him tells us that David knew exactly that he should have never killed Uriah, his servant, but he did it anyway. And out of this confrontation came out Psalms 34, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Next verse, please. And then, uh, and then comes uh, chapter 51, verse 10, where he cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Yes, David was a great man, and yes, David failed. And here's an evidence that he was even a greater man, that he owned up to his failure. David acknowledged that in you and you alone, O Lord, have I failed. Church, when we fail, our first, first foremost, we failed, uh, our failure is first to God before it is a failure to man. But it's just that our God in his loving kindness can easily forgive us where man would rather not. And that's why David, in his wise decision, in another story, said, I'd rather fall in the hands of, the God, of God rather than in the hands of man. Because David knew exactly that God is full of love. Amen? So we have learned from the very beginning that the life of David has always, uh, that the Lord has always been instrumental in his life. The Lord was always with him. The Lord gave him success in all the, of the battles he did. And in his very failure... God sent Nathan to confront him, and, and David did exactly the right thing, repented with such sorrow. Amen? And we see that God is faithful all throughout his life. And church, that's our God. Even though in our failure, the greatest failure that we could have, ever have, God is still faithful. And I will show you how faithful God was. See, in the story of Saul... In, uh, God, uh, the Lord told Saul, because you have done this, I will remove the kingdom away from you. But God has already made a covenant promise to David that your, or the kingdom would always be in your line. God cannot break his own word. So let's go 28 generations later, and I want to show you how faithful God is in Matthew chapter 1. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, this is a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, it tells us that Jesse 
begot David. Jesse is David's father. David begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Who was the woman? Bathsheba. Solomon was the son of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the woman that David's failure came through. Next chapter, please. It says, Oh, so down the line from Solomon down, begot, 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 and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So David's failure, God was so faithful that it was through Solomon, through Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, that the lineage of Jesus came through. And that's only Solomon. I wasn't able to put this up on time. In Luke chapter 3, it will show you, beginning of uh, chapter or verse 26, it will show you the genealogy of Mary. And the genealogy of Mary also meets with David. It was true, David's son, Nathan. Nathan is a brother of Solomon through the same mother. That's how faithful God was to David. That in his failure, that even in his sin, because God said there would always be a king under you, God made sure that through Solomon, Bathsheba's son, Nathan, his brother, Bathsheba's son, came out the lineage of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest gift the world has ever seen. Through a failure, God brought redemptive work to give us the greatest favor that we could ever have. It was through Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's do a recap. David is the man. <laughs> if David was alive today, he, he would have the most follower in Instagram and Facebook, I believe so. But just like any other man, David failed. But in his failure, he stood up to be a man and repented. And because of all of that, I believe one of the greatest pictures that we can see in this is that God was always with David no matter what. That's how faithful our God is. Whether we are up, in, up there or we're down here, God never leaves us. Amen? Amen? Let's close. Let me tell you another story of myself. <laughs> I'll close with this. I was, uh, I'm uh, adopted by my auntie, so was my sister. Where's my sister? No, we're not like Thor and uh, Loki where, oh, he's adopted. No, we're not that kind of adopted. Okay, we were really adopted. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my mother's sister, we were adopted, came here when I was nine, went back to the Philippines when, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I was not the best, that, uh, the best <laughs> that there was. So I was sent back to the Philippines at, uh, after a few years, and I stayed there for seven years. I had uh, a relative, my mom's brother's wife. That's how we describe relatives here in Guam, right? So I'll go along with the flow. My auntie, my mom's brother's wife. One thing about her is that every time we have a, a gathering, a family gathering, when she sees me, she would always say, I see Arman, he wasted his opportunity. He, she would always say, I, Arman, you wasted your opportunity. And why, where is she coming from? If you're an immigrant, you know how such a great opportunity is, it is to, to get out of your own country and be in a place where opportunity is open. Well, for her, she thought that because I went back to the Philippines, I wasted a lifetime. I wasted my opportunity to have a better life. So for seven years, every time I see her, she would say, I see Arman. 
She's always saying, oh, I said, Arman, you wasted your life. You wasted your opportunity as if my life has ended when I went back to the Philippines. Every time we have a gathering, she would, as soon as she sees me, she would go, I see Arman. Even when people that we, she, we, I don't even know, because she was a businesswoman, she, she, when I walk by and she sees me, I see Arman. Over and over again. And she would always remind me of my mistake, of a lost opportunity. Church, our God is not like that. Our God is not like that. Our God doesn't look at you and say, I see Arman. My auntie would have, but my God would not. Amen? In closing, in the book of John, God, God is described as love. In the book of Corinthians, Paul describes love. In the description, it says, God does not keep a record of wrong. Church, your God does not keep a record of your wrong. If you have failed in the past, whether it's big time, small time, whatever time it is, whatever place it was, whatever manner it is, God said in the new covenant, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and your sins I will remember no more. Because God does not keep a record of your sin. Amen? And if you're here today, and you felt that condemnation on you year, day after day, month after month, week after week. You feel like you've made a mistake in the past. It doesn't matter how many years it is, how many months it is, how many days it is, or even just an hour ago. I'm here to tell you that God is not like my auntie. Okay? He does not see you every time and say, Oh, you wasted your opportunity. God is bigger than that. Amen? And if that's you, I just want you to... You know what? Rise up from within. Just like David said, Oh, create in me, O oh Lord, a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation that I can bring back my head up and walk because my righteousness is from you. Man, so if everybody can just bow their heads, I want to pray for us. If that's you, just go ahead and lift up your hand and just be in a posture of receiving. Be in a posture of receiving. I believe God just wants to remove that from you. Be in that posture and just allow your heart to receive that God no more. Lord, because you are a God who does not keep record of wrong, I pray for these people right now. Those of you whose hands are up, I pray for them, O oh Lord. You see them. You see, you've seen every mistake that's ever committed by us. You knew them even before we committed them, but yet you choose not to remember them. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, I release. I release, Father. I release them from this thought of condemnation. I release them from this thought that, that you are a God that always calls back their mistake. Lord, I release it. And I pray, Father, that in the name of Jesus, they will see you for who you are as a good Father. That all your thoughts for us is always for our good. It's always for our benefit. It is always for our good. So that in the name of Jesus, I release your goodness upon our people and I release Father release these people whose hands are up that they may walk in the joy of your salvation in the name of Jesus Amen Amen